I just realized as you're describing these things that what I'm picturing in my mind are just scenes from the Kevin Sullivan movies. Yes. Yeah, it's accurate. (laughs) Okay, good. That's a relief. (laughs) Hey, readers. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Readers, today's guest recently checked off a bookish bucket list item, an intergenerational book pilgrimage to Prince Edward Island, the land of Anne of Green Gables. You'll hear more about that today because I have been dreaming of making such a trip for several decades and I would love to hear more. Rosalind Tayo's guest submission also caught my eye because she deeply appreciates rereading and wants to do more of it. But she keeps getting distracted by new books, so she's looking for help. Rosalind loves the feeling of cultivating deep and long-term relationships with the books she loves. That's why she wants more rereading in her life. But this is tricky, and not for the reasons you might think. When it comes to leading readers away from their good intentions, social media is a common culprit. But that's not it for Rosalind. She's not even on social, yet she still has a lengthy and growing TBR from her regular trips to the library and bookstore. Because of all those unread books calling her name, it's tempting for Rosalind to prioritize starting new to her books that will let her strike a title from that list, even though she knows that's not what she truly wants. That's why today we're discussing ideas on how Rosalind might steer clear of the siren song of the unread pile and instead identify the much-loved titles that would be deeply gratifying to revisit. I'm excited to talk all things rereading with Rosalind and give her solid suggestions to help her find satisfaction in her reading life. Friends, you should know that in this episode, we touch on the death of a spouse and unexpected widowhood. If that sounds like it would be upsetting for you to listen to right now, I would recommend saving this episode for later or skipping it today. Let's get to it. Rosalind, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk today. Tell me a little bit about what you do and where you are in the world. Well, I'm in Ontario in Waterloo, 
I'm a freelance writer now, but I have been a literary magazine editor and a proposal writer and a copywriter in the past. So uh, reading and books have always been important to me, like both professionally and personally. Do I remember correctly that you're an English major? Yes. Yes, I was. Okay. So this is a love that goes way back. Oh, yes. My mom is a big reader too. And uh, I think she taught me to read before I started kindergarten. And basically, as soon as I could read a full-length book, I started doing that and never stopped. (laughs) (laughs) I know you have two young daughters. Has it been important for you to instill the deep love and reading in their lives as best you're able? Yeah. Like, I always hoped that they would become big readers, too. We read together every night. I mean, now they're a little older, but when they were little, I would read to them every night. And whenever they asked, you know, if somebody crawled into my lap with a book, I'd always say yes. (laughs) And I guess it worked because they're both big readers now, too. (laughs) And they went along on your PEI pilgrimage. Is, Is that right? Yes. Tell me a little about that family trip. I have been dreaming of going to PEI since I was probably your daughter's age and started reading Ellen Montgomery. And also, I know we have so many listeners who have either been or are dreaming of going. So we're going to be jotting notes for our potential travels or for the time being, just vicariously experiencing Prince Edward Island through your eyes. So humor us. Tell us everything. So I read Anna Green Gables when I was maybe like 11 or 12, like my mom before me. And then I passed it on to uh, my daughters who also fell in love with the story. And uh, we decided to go to PEI to see all of the places that are in the book. When you get to the island, you can still see like the house that uh, inspired Green Gables. Uh, You can see the Lake of Shining Waters. You can see the red sands of the beaches. It's a really beautiful place. I just realized as you're describing these things that what I'm picturing in my mind are just scenes from the Kevin Sullivan movies. Yes. Yeah, it's accurate. (laughs) Okay, good. That's a relief. (laughs) How long did you all plan to spend in PEI? Well, we rented a cottage and stayed for a week. And a week is definitely like more than enough time to see like all of the Anne sites because it's a very, it's a very small island. But it's all it's very beautiful. And there's many reasons to go besides all of the Anne sites. But We saw the house, uh, we saw the musical, we saw the little desk where she mailed her manuscript. We saw everything. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. What else did you all enjoy doing that wasn't necessarily on the official Anne itinerary? Well, we spent a lot of time at the beach, which is another one of my favorite things to do. We spent some time in Charlottetown. I mean, I guess we spent most of our time doing the Anne itinerary. Well, that sounds like an amazing trip. And I'm so glad that you and your family have these memories and that shared experience that you got to do together. Yeah, it's amazing. We looked forward to it for years before we went. Oh, tell me more about that. Well, we were originally supposed to go, I guess, in the summer of 2020. And obviously that didn't happen. (laughs) Right. And we didn't get to go the year after. So we looked forward to it for quite some time. Which was good because actually, like, by the time we got to go, the girls were both a little older. Mm -hmm. Chelsea is 12 now and Samantha is nine. So I think they actually got more out of it, could appreciate it more and will remember it better. And it seemed like that was a good age to take the trip. Mm -hmm. So they're like old enough to appreciate it, but not like teenagers yet and kind of like overspending time with their mom. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you'll have amazing pictures then from that trip. Mm -hmm. 
there is one picture of us all of um like my daughters and I all like dressed up in the Anne costume. You can like so at the visitor center, right when you cross the bridge, there's a visitor center. And they part of that is this little kind of set where you can put on the Anne costumes and have your pictures taken. And so my girls and I did that. And we were in line to do it behind a father and son getting their pictures taken. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. So there's pictures on the wall of lots of people who have done it. And it's like all genders, all ages. It's not just, you know, like mother, mother, daughters. Like it's, I guess, Anne is for everyone. <laughs> everyone loves her. Anne is for everyone. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear it. I mean, we've seen the Prince Edward Island landscapes in the Kevin Sullivan movies. I mean, how could you, you know, I'm always saying here, like reading is personal, experience is personal. Mm -hmm. And yet it's hard to imagine not loving that. Yeah. Thanks for painting that picture of the trip for those of us who will only experience it vicariously. And for those of us dreaming of going, we appreciate hearing a little bit about what it was like for you and your family. Roslyn, now back in your home in Ontario, what is your reading life like these days? What kind of titles are you focusing on? What does your rhythm feel like? I'd love to hear. Well, I've always got at least like one novel and one work of nonfiction on the go at the same time. And so I'll read the fiction before bed and the nonfiction in the daytime, usually. And in terms of fiction, um, what I'm really drawn to lately is family stories, specifically like found family stories or stories with just um, one parent or like just kind of like unconventional families. That's kind of what I'm really into at the moment. How long have you been reading thematically along those lines? I'm wondering if that has been like a big change of pace for you. I'd say I've always been drawn to family stories, but more so since I became a parent myself, which is some time ago now. I mean, my oldest daughter is 12. So I guess I've been reading more family stories for the past decade or so. And lately, I've been particularly drawn to stories of um, found families and stories with one parent in the family, because that's my situation now too. So I'm kind of reading to see a reflection of my own experience and also just to learn and to think about my own situation differently and just to feel less alone in it. I guess it can be kind of lonely to be um, the only parent in your household. Yeah. I'm imagining based on your longtime love of books that you've often turned to the written word to, to see yourself and discover ideas, not completely foreign to you that might help you understand your own situation a little bit differently, a little bit better. Yeah. I'd say that's exactly right. Okay. And so that's what that looks like right now. Rosalyn, I'm gathering a picture of your reading life in part so we can recommend books you may enjoy reading next. And that means we get to talk about rereading. Tell me about this interest in developing, as you called it, deeper long-term relationships with some of the books that you know you have already read and loved. Well, I've always admired people who just know their favorite books so well, you know, that they can like quote from them at will, you know what I mean? Like they remember the plot perfectly well and have these deep connection to the characters. And uh, I would like to have that too. But I do find that when I read a book just once, it's not long enough for me to form that kind of relationship. I don't have the greatest memory in the world. So if I'm going to form a relationship with a book like that, I have to reread it. It's the first time I read it, 
I'm just interested in, I guess, like what's going to happen. And I don't want to like take notes. I don't want to necessarily like analyze it as I'm reading it, but I love to do that on a second read. Mm -hmm. But like you said in the introduction, it's really like hard to go back to a book I already know sometimes when there's just so many books that I haven't read yet. You mentioned that you thought that might be the English major in you that is calling you to explore all the books out there and yet at the same time (laughs) calling you to go deep with a few titles you feel would really be worth your while to do so. Yeah, like I'd like to have more of a balance, I guess, in my reading life to like go back to some titles that really repay rereading and then also still have enough time to, you know, read the new and shiny. (laughs) (laughs) There can be room for both in a reader's life and on a reader's bookshelf. Rosalind, is this plan to reread more only in the wishing and dreaming stage, or have you tried to incorporate this practice into your life already? I'm just wondering what might have worked or what strategies might be promising as we move forward. I would say, yes, I have been rereading a bit recently, but just not as much as I would like to, because I guess I'm still having a hard time resisting temptation to stick with the new books I haven't read yet. What appeals to you about the new and unread? The discovery. Yeah. I know how some of my favorite books are going to end, of course. I guess I guess that's what it is, is like the thrill of the new discovery. I appreciate you not laughing outright in my face when I asked you. So what we want to do today is help you think about how to incorporate both depth and discovery into your reading life. And I think that'll seem a lot more attractive with the right mix of titles on your horizon. Yes, I think so. Rosalind, today we're going to find some good books for you to read and reread. And to do that, I think we need to hear about your books. Are you ready to dig in? Yes, I think so. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? (laughs) You get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast. Hi, I'm Nathan. And I'm Katie. And we're the host of Queen's Podcast. Join us while we spill the tea on women from history. We get into all kinds of stories here, like biographies of lesser-known figures. For instance, Saida Halkura, powerful pirate queen. To the stories you might already know, like Marie Antoinette or Cleopatra, but with a fun twist. Each queen is paired with a cocktail that'll totally get you in the mood to hear fun, juicy, and dramatic stories from history. Because history is so much more than just dudes on a battlefield, and we believe that the female perspective and roles are just as deserving of their time in the spotlight. Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately, and we'll explore titles you may enjoy reading next. Rosalind, how did you choose these for today? 
Okay, so the books that I picked are all books that I have reread. <laughs> and it's a shorter list because I've read quite a few books and don't reread as much as I like. So my first book is 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas. Have you read this one? I have not. Oh, okay. Well, you should. <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's a good beginning. It's so good. Tell me all about it. Okay, so I, I took this book out from the library last summer and like I read it twice like before I returned it like I read it once through and then oh I need to read this again and immediately restarted and read it again which is really unusual for me that a book insists on my rereading it so soon you know <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I picked this one I really love it because her use of language is just really inventive and evocative. And it's like, it's a very short book, but what she does, like she can do something in a sentence that maybe another writer would take a paragraph to do. Every word is like a hardworking word. It's very powerful. There's a lot packed into each little phrase. This is a book that unfolds over the course of a single day, isn't it? Or I think it's actually a single evening. It's, I think it's 24 hours, about approxim approximately 24 hours, I guess. Yeah, so it's a really short time frame, and it's a really short book. But yet it's amazing how well she brings these characters and this place to life in such a short time frame, like short number of pages, short number of hours, I guess, that we know these characters. But yet you feel like you know them so well, or I did. And they're all just, I guess, really wonderfully like human characters, like they're all like flawed in their way, but also just doing their best in really difficult situations, each one, and it's kind of sticking by each other. And it's really funny, but it's also really heartwarming. It's the story of Madeline. She's a nine-year-old girl who wants nothing more than to uh, sing on a stage. I don't want to spoil what happens in the book because it, it's such a short little plot and I don't want to spoil it, but it's about how she goes about achieving that dream. Well, that sounds delightful. <laughs> That's 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas, which has been on my radar for years, but I don't think I've ever purchased it or checked it out from the library, but thanks for recommending it. Rosalind, tell me about the next book you love. Okay, so the next book I picked is called French Exit by Patrick DeWitt. And it too is like a short book with really vividly drawn characters, takes place over a fairly short time. The main characters are uh, Frances, a widow, and her adult son, Malcolm. And they have kind of a like Lucille and Buster Bluth vibe. Have you seen? <laughs> <laughs> I have. Yeah. So you'll know what I mean. So, so like, yeah, Frances, the widow, is she's very like, witty and sharp and like everyone's afraid of her and her son Malcolm is kind of a like a man child you know like he's kind of adrift he hasn't quite grown up yet and he's kind of so they're very close but what's happened is that after her husband dies she kind of spends their money really like recklessly and so they're facing bankruptcy but they uh, don't want to stick around in New York and have like that happen and like the embarrassment of all that so they kind of scrape together what they've got left and restart their lives in Paris <laughs> and once they're there they get into some really like absurd kind of situations and meet even more kind of colorful characters and 
it's really funny, but also really quite sad in places. And I guess that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite combinations in a book is like books that'll make you laugh, even though the situation is dark at times. <laughs> I really love this book. Another short one. Yes. Yes. Short, but they pack so much into each paragraph and into each page. And I just really admire that. Writers who can say so much in so few words. And not that I don't like really long books, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Just not today. Right. Rosalind, what's the final book that you love? I wanted to um, pick a a nonfiction book that I've reread as well, because that's another one of my favorite uh, genres. And it's a book of personal essays by Barbara Kingsolver called High Tide in Tucson. It's one of her earlier books, I think. And the essays in the book were published in other magazines before they came out in the book. So it's kind of a kind of a time capsule at this point <laughs> because it's an older book. But also the themes are quite timeless. Like she writes about motherhood and she writes about, um, there's an essay in here about uh, housework and traveling with her, her young daughter to another country and how children are treated differently in other countries, like in than as opposed to the United States where she's from, I guess, like, I think she goes to Spain and her daughter is treated like a princess, <laughs> whereas she has a different experience back at home where she's more of, um, strangers see her as like, oh, more like inconvenient. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's so funny. One of the essays in this book is about a hermit crab named Buster. And you were just talking about Buster. Oh, and Lucille. yes. Another Nicely connected. Yes. It's one of those books, like, I really love it because she blends the personal together with, like, political and reporting, writing so seamlessly. You feel like you're in conversation with her, almost. It's one of those books that kind of um, fell into my lap right when I needed to read it. Because, like, when I distinctly remember the first time I read it, because it was some, like, ungodly hour like 3 a.m <laughs> because I was up with the newborn and it was my my first daughter and it was the experience was just not going the way I had expected <laughs> I thought you know like oh you know like I had all these ideas about like maternity leave and how like I would you know like put my daughter down for a nap and do a bit of writing and and that's just not how it was going at all <laughs> And so it was kind of nice to read a a book of personal essays about another writer who was also a mother, but a little further on in the journey. And it was kind of like a little, like a little kind of like beacon of hope, you know what I mean? Like you will get there. You will be able to do this. It's possible. Just not right now. I'm glad that book found you at the right time. The first time. Rosalind, tell me about a book that wasn't right for you. The book I chose was uh, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. And I picked it up, even though it's not really like the kind of thing that I would usually read, but because there was just so much hoopla about it, like it came out with like a really big splash. Everywhere I looked, there was this book and I knew all these people who were reading it and saying it was so great. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to try it, even though it's not my usual thing, because I want to know what all the fuss is about, right? So I started reading it and I was like about halfway through and I'm like, okay, I can see why people like this because it really like hooks you in immediately. But then like kind of halfway through, there's this shocking twist, which I like, I won't 
spoil for anyone who hasn't read it yet, but it's the kind of twist that makes you reevaluate everything you've already read and like how much you can trust the characters you've already met. And it didn't feel like it felt kind of icky. Like it didn't feel like, Ooh, surprise plot twist. Like it felt like I'd been like duped. Like I'd been like, kind of like manipulated. And I was like, Oh, well this, Oh, I didn't like that feeling, but I still couldn't put it down. So I kept reading and it just gets kind of like darker and it made me feel kind of icky in two ways because it's like the characters are like pretty bad people doing pretty bad stuff. Also just the fact that I couldn't stop reading it, (laughs) (laughs) even though it was making me feel bad, you know what I mean? I was like, I can't put this book down yet. It's making me feel terrible. It wasn't an enjoyable reading experience. Like, it's not a bad book, but I didn't enjoy the experience of reading it. I'm glad that I finished it, but it also kind of showed me that I'm like, okay, from now on, I'm just going to pick up books that I'm interested in. I'm not going to listen to like the buzz and the hoopla and all that because it's not necessarily a good predictor for me of whether I'm going to like it. That's a good way to feel. And you learn something about yourself, which is that I think the descriptors you used on the books you love are really representative of what you look to find in the books you're reading. You use phrases like, it's like having a conversation with a friend. It's wonderfully human, mm-hmm. funny and heartwarming. French exit, you called really funny and also quite sad. And you really enjoy that blend. I think humanity on the page is something that you enjoy in your books. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you found in Gone Girl. Now, sometimes we can love very disparate things, but it sounds like wonderfully human mm-hmm. is something that you you do look for in books that that tend to characterize books you love. Yeah. Like I don't have to necessarily like all of the characters, but I do like, I like a well-drawn depth of character, I guess, even if it's a character that I don't particularly like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you feel like they weren't fully fleshed out and humanized in Gone Girl or did you just not like them in the emotions that reading experience generated? It made me feel really kind of queasy to have to kind of identify with the characters and what they do. Like she goes really deep into like the dark side, I guess, of human nature. So I can appreciate it, but I didn't enjoy it. Okay. So human foibles, human failings. Yes. You're good with that. Oh, yes. But the out and out devious and destructive, maybe not for you. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was a little yeah too too dark for me. <laughs> Okay. Duly noted. Rosalind, what have you been reading lately? I just finished a book called uh, Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. And I really love that. I also recently read Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmies. And that's really great too. Do you want to tell me about Circe Unseating the Goldfinch? Oh, yeah. So the first book of the year that I read and really stuck with me, even though it's over a month ago now was Circe. I really love that book. Like for years I've said that The Goldfinch is my favorite book, but I think Circe. Oh, you do love long books. Yeah. (laughs) I do. I do love long books. (laughs) But Circe unseated it. Yeah. I just, I've never read anything quite like it. Have you read Circe? I have. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the, like, too much about the story going in because it's the story of Greek gods and goddesses, Greek mythology. So 
So I was like, kind of like familiar with the names and vaguely familiar with some of like the more, you know, famous stories in Greek mythology, but I didn't know Circe's story. So I didn't really know what to expect. And I really loved it. I was really drawn into her character. And uh, it was interesting just to, as I read through, just like names popping up that I recognized, like, oh, you know, like getting all the backstory on all these famous Greek gods and goddesses that I only knew by name. <laughs> so that it was mm-hmm. really fascinating from that perspective, but also just the writing is beautiful. And I mean, it's Greek mythology. So the plot is also very um, propulsive. <laughs> is this one you'll be coming back to? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I definitely plan to reread Circe. I'm happy to hear it. Rosalind, I know that you are on the lookout for some very specific books in your reading life right now. As we start considering titles that may be right for you right now, what are the kinds of things you're hoping to find? I'm particularly looking for um, family stories, and um, I'm looking for books in which um, grief is a theme, because I've just started this book club for widows and widowed parents, and our plan is to read books in which grief is a theme, and but not necessarily like super sad, like unrelentingly bleak, you know, books about death, you know? <laughs> Like I'm looking for kind of uplifting family stories in which grief is a theme, I guess. And books that I'd are going to have enough in there to discuss, I guess, like good fits for a book club. Would you tell me more about how this book club came to be? Oh, sure. So here in Waterloo, we have this um, not-for-profit community that supports widowed parents. It's called the Hummingbird Center for Hope. And the director of the community asked me if I would start a book club for the community. And I said, sure. Uh, even, and then I, I had to tell her, like, you know, I've, I've never actually hosted a book club before, like, and I've never even really been in a book club before. And she said, that's all right. You know, like, we'll make it work. So uh, that's the plan. <laughs> and our, uh, our first meeting is next month. And I think we have about 12 members signed up now. But I've only ever met one in real life. So I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting everyone and hopefully um, choosing some good books to read together. What are you hoping to find in this book club that was assigned to you? And yet hearing you talk about it in reading what you've said about it, it sounds like you're really that it's, it's your baby, Rosalind. Well, I'm hoping to find, I guess, like a community of widows and widowers like myself, who also uh, really love to read and to just to see um, elements of our experience, I guess, reflected back in print. I find reading about uh, families that are are like mine, like families with just one parent, makes you feel a little less alone because it can be kind of uh, lonely to be a single parent. I guess I'm looking for like a real life community. <laughs> of fellow readers who are also single parents, but also um, fictional community of one-parent families. And how does this fit into your rereading intentions? Well, I'm thinking like any book that I'm going to read for book club, I'm almost automatically going to reread because I'm I'm the sort of reader who like on a first read, I'll, like I read quickly because I just want to kind of get to know the characters and see what's going to happen with them. But I don't like to make notes and I, I, my memory is not super good. So I don't like retain uh, the details super well. So if I know I'm going to be discussing it as part of a book club, I'll 
read it a second time and read it a second time more carefully. So I guess I'm looking for books that'll stand up to that, that I can enjoy on a second read and find things maybe that I didn't find the first time. So I'm looking for, I guess, books that are going to be like thought provoking and have like some big themes in there. But I guess also maybe not, again, I'm going to say this again, super long books <laughs> because I need to, I need to read it twice. And some of, I know that some of the members of the book club aren't going to have as much time for reading as I do or are mm-hmm. in earlier phases of grief where it's harder to focus for long periods on a book. Yeah, I'm looking for books that will repay rereading and maybe aren't difficult to reread and that they're like maybe very long or very dense. (laughs) Thank you for telling me about that. That helps as we consider what books will be right for you and also perhaps for your book club. And if it sounds good to you, I'm going to keep an eye out for titles across a variety of genres and also age of the protagonist and the specifics of the situation. Does that sound like a good idea? Yes. Okay. And I know that yourself, you also have mentioned that you're always on the hunt for books about one parent families in general. Yes. I I really love them because they make you feel less alone and less unusual. You know, like I may be the only one on my my street, but I'm definitely not the only one (laughs) out there. That's what fiction can reassure us of. And a good memoir too. I am eyeing one or two of those. Yes. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you, and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Rosalind, I know that the books you love are those adjectives and phrases we already talked about. Wonderfully human, portraying people doing their best, that are funny and heartwarming. They can be sad, but also quite funny. I'm going to keep that in mind, but I think we also may venture a little bit afield from there, knowing that there will be a range of tastes in your book club. Oh, although I did just remember you promised people reads that would not be nonstop depressing. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, 
Well, that might negate the first book I was just going to tell you about. That's okay if they're not all a fit for the book club, you know. (laughs) I am okay with a sad book. Well, the one I was wondering about, and I'm thinking about your professed love for found family stories and those portraying unconventional families. Mm -hmm. The Coloradan author Kent Haraf writes books that are often quiet, compact, sometimes quietly devastating. I found him thanks to What Should I Read Next listeners and have been slowly working my way through the back catalog over the years. And the one that's coming to mind for me is Plain Song. It's a small town Colorado story. And in it, he weaves three families together in ways that are surprising to the reader and definitely surprising to the characters in the novel. And in this book, they're all dealing with their own private tragedies. And you see them at the beginning of the book. Things aren't good. And then they get worse. But... Harif brings them together in ways the characters do not expect, like a high schooler gets pregnant and a neighbor who knows these two households makes a suggestion and then pushes <laughs> a little bit and then a little bit more for her to make her home for the time being with these two old bachelors who have lived together a lonely life for a long time. That's just one example of the three families that come together in this book. And while their circumstances are so sad, there's also this profound sense of goodness that comes to the reader watching these lonely, sad people find each other and find comfort and solace in it. And this book is more likely to make you reach for the tissues than laugh out loud. I don't think that's going to happen here, but (laughs) they feel so profoundly right And the way they show people turning to each other and finding unexpected consolation from unexpected sources in grief. And all his books are pretty compact. This is not his shortest, but it's not a big lift page count wise, meaning it might be easier to come back to. That sounds great. I hope so. Now I want to go to a direction that is less expected. Something that you wrote to me was that You were interested in reading about protagonists who are widows, but are not mired in that initial hazy stage of grief, because you said that it's easy for that stage to be romanticized and that, frankly, it was less interesting to you than what comes after when the person has begun to adapt and grow and gain the perspective that only comes with the passage of time. And we can see that in literary fiction. We can see it in memoir. We can see it in lots of genres. And I want to point out a title in a direction that you might not think to look. And that is to the older work of Taylor Jenkins Reid, which has a different tone than her more recent novels. Um, She really started in a new trajectory with The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. This was the book she wrote right before that. And it came out in 2016. It's called One True Loves. And, you know, I probably should say with all of this that I am not someone who knows this experience firsthand. This is an experience that I can see in the lives of some friends and in fiction, but that is the extent of my experience. So I imagine we will have very different reactions to all these books. But the simplest way to describe this is it's like that Tom Hanks movie Castaway, but in this version, in this book, Tom Hanks, the character, comes home just before the wedding. So this is the story of a young woman named Emma. The characters are in their, I believe they're in their 20s. The oldest, they're in their early 30s, but they're not old and they do not have children at this point in the story. And the protagonist married her high school sweetheart, Jessie, when she was in her 20s. And they were both adventurous. They traveled the world together. They were happy. She was a journalist. I think he wrote for an adventure magazine. But then his helicopter disappears over the Pacific and he is presumed dead in an accident. So 
The story really focuses on three years later, after she has moved back home and made a new life for herself. And she's even fallen in love and is thinking, this is the person she's going to marry. But then right at the cusp of that, she gets a call that he's been found. And she's suddenly forced to choose between the husband she thought was gone forever. I mean, she's been living as a widow and the man who she feels like has helped her learn to live again. But what she's really exploring here with with a light touch, because this is not the same tone as plain song by any means, but she's showing how when we've lived through something, it changes us. And that's not undone because you get a phone call. This is a book that does get tied up with a bow. So if neat and tidy resolutions are not for you, Rosalind or readers, this probably isn't the right story for you. But there is a lot to discuss in a book that really goes down easy. Like this is one that you could just flip the pages through. Also, I just need to put in a note for book lovers. The protagonist, Emma, her family owns a bookstore and that features prominently in the story. And I have to tell you, like a really touching scene about how we care for the grieving is in this book. I don't think it's giving too much away to say that Emma, for all intents and purposes, everything she knows is that her spouse has died. She is seeking comfort in books. In the first book she reads, the husband dies. So there's a scene where her mother and father are just sitting on the floor in the living room. I'm probably making up too many details. This is how I picture it in my mind. But they're sitting on the floor with just stacks of books beside them, just reading them to make sure they can give their daughter a stack of books where nobody dies. Oh. And I still remember that all these years later. Oh, that sounds great. Another book that might be set too close to the deaths of spouses to really be what you're looking for, but I'm going to tell you about it and let you decide, is Harry's Trees by John Cohen. And he was actually on the podcast years ago. Readers, that's a really fun episode where we talk about fiction and magic and escaping into books and making the magical real. Well, this is a grown-up sort of fairy tale that is about grief and also redemption and forgiveness and joy. And it's set in the Pennsylvania forest. And in this book, a man and a woman are both surprisingly widowed at young ages by terrible accidents. And in this story, they improbably find each other. So this is about unlikely friendships. There's a book within a book. There's a found family. There's a battle to save the local library. It can be a little sentimental, but the book also has such a strong sense of humor. And I think that's a nice balance for you. So the phrase is funny and heartwarming, um, characters doing their best in hard circumstances, wonderfully human. I think those phrases could all apply here. And I'd like to put in a plug for the works of Marissa De Los Santos in general. She writes gentle stories of grief and loss and love, and she stays with her characters and in her interlinked novels for the long haul. So you see them at all different ages and stages and across the generations. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to end with two memoirs. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. The first is by poet Elizabeth Alexander. It's called The Light of the World. Do you know this one? No. I feel like I've talked about it a lot, and I expect it's rather well-known, as is the next one we're going to talk about, honestly. But I'm going to read you the opening words from this book. It says, The story seems to begin with catastrophe, but in fact began earlier and is not a tragedy, but rather a love story. And in this book, her husband, artist, teacher, larger than life, full of joy, he dies just four days after his 50th birthday, completely unexpectedly. And this memoir is written with the perspective of some past time 
And she's looking back on their life together, the love that they shared and the impact of that loss in her life. And I know you love words that are worth coming back to because of the way they're laid out on the page. She is a poetry professor at Yale. She knows how to make the words fall in the right order. It's so obvious in the story's richness and language. And she has so much wonderful source material to work with. She's an American born in Harlem. Her husband was born in Eritrea in East Africa. He came to New Haven as a refugee from war. They were both artists. And she describes the gatherings of people they have together in her home, the kind of conversations they enjoyed having over breakfast, uh, the way they parented their children together. And now she's parenting her children alone. There's so much here to recommend to many readers. And it is a sad story, of course, because she's writing about the loss of this great love and this great man. But also this book is so joyous. And I think that coexistence of those two things would make this a really satisfying read for you and a really promising one for your group. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds really good. Finally, Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan. I feel like this is also quite well known. This book is not grieving the loss of a spouse, although we do see that secondhand in the pages. This is in many ways both about the loss of Kelly's friend Liz to cancer, who she's written about in previous books, and also the loss of her 80-something-year-old father. And she says frequently, like, people think it's not normal or fitting for a grown woman to be this broken up over the death of her 80-something-year-old father, but let me tell you how I loved him, and let me tell you how he loved me, and let me talk to you about what grief really means. But in this book, she talks in depth about how after her friend Liz was diagnosed with cancer, they both pushed past the surface stuff to forge a powerful and enduring friendship. And because Kelly and her friend Liz are friends along with their husbands, we do hear about Liz is dying and leaving behind her husband. She knows that. And her husband knows that she is dying before his eyes. And that's very much in the pages. And it's so sad. And yet this book is also, I think, so life-giving. I have read Tell Me More. And I loved it, but it's been a while. I could definitely go back and reread Tell Me More. I love Kelly Corrigan. I'm glad to hear it. And I'd be interested in hearing if you think this is a book worth rereading. She says these are stories. It's very story-driven about the 12 hardest things she's learning to say. And it's about loss, but it's also very much about things we've mentioned today. Like it's about parenting and Mm -hmm. friendship and getting clear on your own stuff and then what that means for going out and living in the world. You could have some amazing discussions about this book. Somewhere I read that somebody described Kelly Corrigan as, I think, the poet laureate of the ordinary. Does that sound right? Wow, that's very flattering. Yeah. She really gets right into all that like domestic stuff and holds nothing back. You know, like she's like things she writes about herself. I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) 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 Like, (laughs) Like she's Like she tells the truth, like even if it's like not particularly flattering, you know what I mean? I really admire that about her. I I think she's a great writer. I'm glad to hear that. And you know, sometimes we need a writer to tell those stories so that we can talk about them in book club Mm -hmm. (laughs) when we're working up to telling our own. Oh, you know, we could talk about a long book, Rosalind, if you wanted to. Okay. Have you read The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo? I have not. I have heard of it though. Okay. I have not. This is a big, sprawling, mix-it-up family story. It's not as long as The Goldfinch. This is only (laughs) 500 pages. Um, There's a lot happening here. It's the story of a married couple and their four grown daughters. Um, The parents have gotten along all too well over the years in the daughters' lives. They feel like they, they and their relationships can never measure up to the great 
love of their parents. Um, And that doesn't always do great things for the sisterly bond. But in the opening pages, one daughter reveals a huge family secret. And then the novel tracks what happens in the next year of every family member's life. And so, of course, in a big family, in a big family story, everybody is dealing with lots of stuff. But specifically in this book, the eldest daughter was widowed young. And though many years have gone by now, she keenly feels the loss. And the way that plays out in the story, I think that could be an interesting thread for you and perhaps for your book club if a 500 page book isn't automatically yeah. <laughs> disqualified for length i guess i guess i'll have to see how it goes and like what everybody in the group how they feel about super long books but it definitely sounds good to me like i'll definitely read it no i, I wouldn't make it your first pick or second <laughs> Claire, of the books we talked about today, and we actually talked about a lot of them at the end. We talked about The Light of the World by Elizabeth Alexander, Plain Song by Kent Harriff, Harry's Trees by John Cohen, One True Loves by Taylor Jenkins Reid, Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan, The Most Fun We Ever Had by Claire Lombardo. Of those books, what do you think you may pick up next? I think I'll probably look for Plain Song first, but I'll I'll be reading all of them, I think. <laughs> well i'm excited to hear how they work out for you and rosalind i'm wishing you well and also all the best as you start this book club thank you thank you so much for having me on the show oh it was my pleasure thanks for talking books with me today hey readers i hope you enjoyed my discussion with rosalind and i'd love to hear what you think she should read next Find the full list of titles we talked about today at what should I read next podcast.com. Make sure you're following in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Join us over on Instagram at what should I read next and find me there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O G E L. We love seeing you tag us whenever you share your favorite episodes on social, and it's a quick and easy way to share this podcast with your friends. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is created each week by Will Bogle, Holly Wilkachevsky, and Studio D Podcast Productions. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>